Uh, welcome to Budge, um, Behavioural Science in Business, uh, Education and Life. Um, I'm here with Dr. Darren Coppin, uh, behavioural scientist, psychologist, speaker, writer and of course um, one of the original members of the Supremes. How are you? I'm, I'm beautiful, Paul Miles, Managing Director of the Busy Group, one of Australia's largest education training and employment companies and actually was sh- down to the shortlist to play Katniss Evergreen in the Hunger Games. <laughs> I was, I was. Uh, usually we talk about uh, behavioural science uh, with, with business education and things like employment services, uh, long-term unemployed, that sort of thing, work from home, business practices, uh, but a bit of a break from the norm. We can talk about behavioural science and happiness uh, particularly we're going to talk about um, why you shouldn't ever look over the fence and why you need antidepressants like a hole in the head. I'm kind of a bit baffled by that. I'm just looking forward to, to what you're going to talk about there. But my behavioural science and happiness, it, it, it's something that affects us all and, and it's well known that um, we are, as a society, richer, we work less, well, allegedly, uh, we are far better off than we've ever been, yet we are more and more and more miserable as a society. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. 400% increase in GDP since World War II and by some measures 750% increase in depression. But it also depends, like happiness is, is I suppose, the purpose of life, to try and be happy, mm. live, a, live a life well lived. But there are so many different definitions of, of what happiness is. Is it the same as well-being? Is it the same as hedonistic happiness? Uh, is it the same as life satisfaction or eudaimonia? Um, <laughs> so, sorry, what? What's eudaimonia? Eudaimonia, eudaimonia, one than me. Um, eudaimonia is is really um, uh, written um, back in the ancient Greeks. It, it was their description. It's not a direct translation, but it kind of means a life well lived. And Aristotle, in particular, um, proposed that to lead a life well lived, we need to know what our strengths and virtues are as an individual, mm. and. Excel in those to mm-hmm. develop them um, and and to live your life through them and become better and better and you'll become happier. So it's it's like a, a strengths based life. Mm. Um, and I suppose it plays to that 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 old saying that if you um, do something you love, you'll never work a day of your life. It's sort of along those lines. Um, I find it fascinating that um, with all the research around employment and happiness is that the the, the people that are the least happy jobs are things like security guards where they spend large amounts of times on their own. And, and then you've also got uh, the happier jobs, the things like, you often find things like construction, where groups of men who get to chat and have a laugh all day are a lot happier jobs, which then potentially leads us to, you know, um, the, the reality of, of, is happiness primarily based as humans on us being social creatures? And, you know, the most well-known um, happiness um, so, uh, research that I know, of course, is the Harvard one, where they tracked men from the late 1930s, uh, including, I think, members of the Kennedy family, through till sort of uh, five or six years ago. And it might even still be going on. And the, and the major thing that I found around happiness um, psychologically was, was the fact that it's all about personal relationships. And not necessarily romantic relationships, but it's all about personal relationships. And you could be super rich, super healthy or unhealthy, or whatever it might be. But predominantly, your, your happiness was related to your personal relationships. And is that effectively because we as humans are just social creatures? Yeah, hugely. If, if I was to ask you um, what have you enjoyed most in the last three months? What, what probably probably not recording these podcasts. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, look, it, it would be absolutely be time with my partner, Christy, and, and, and with the kids. You know, I've got three kids who are just amazing. So it'd be, be time with those guys. And, and Liverpool winning, I would say. 
which hasn't happened a lot in the last 30 years. So. <laughs> and what would you be looking forward to in the next three months? Exactly the same thing. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, coming up some holidays, so I'm taking, you know, catching up with the kids at different points and catching up with, with my partner. So um, definitely those things, I think. Yeah, so it's weird. When you say to people, what's going to make you happy? It's money. You know, with money, yeah. I'll be able to do anything and I'll be able to do this. And it can facilitate things such as having more time uh, to spend with your children. But when you ask people to look back on your life and what were the best moments, what your biggest regrets, it's generally always, oh, I remember doing this when I was seven and doing that with a family and doing this with the community. And actually, you know, the blitz was terrible, but we all got together. The floods were awful, but we came together as a community. So it's these things where as humans, relationships are, are massive, but it's only technically one of six key components that, that makes up. And I was going to ask you, you, you've come up with six components of well-being. Are these, are these well-known or are these ones that you've sort of identified yourself? No, they're not ones I've identified myself. Um, but they're, they're ones that really come out of the University of Pennsylvania and the positive psychology uh, department there led by um, Marty Seligman. Um, and there are lots of other measures that, that actually probably could be a bit better. But what's great about this one is that it's easy to remember and relate to the six components and it makes up the acronym PERMA. And the, f the first thing that makes you happy is just a general happy approach, uh, positive emotions and experiencing positive emotions. Because it's, it's also, you know, there, there is some research isn't there that overly focusing on being positive all the time isn't necessarily beneficial to you. It can actually be detrimental to your health kind of if you, if you try to take a positive approach to everything. Yeah, chasing happiness doesn't necessarily create happiness and can create anxiety and, and stress and what have you. It's hedonistic. Mm. And that's that's one of the things that the ancient Greeks, so why they came up with eudaimonia is, is that it is separate from hedonistic happiness really and short-term happiness that can often lead to longer-term issues. Yeah, okay. As you'd well know. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so second on your permanence, you've got positive emotions, engagement. What, what does that mean? Well, this means that um, we love to um, be engaged in what we do. We love to do stuff that we're interested in. And this is where that, that leading your life through virtues and strengths is, really hits the nail on the head. It was true two and a half thousand years ago and just as true today. So it is... You, time goes a lot more quickly you get into flow um, you excel you do well and you're happier mm. when when you're playing to your strengths and virtues so in, being engaged in what you're doing is, is crucial and, I, and you know again I'm going to relate that back to work so that's, that's an important component of work right is that you know we're all told to do what you love and money will follow that sort of thing which isn't necessarily too true but, but, but do something you love happiness potentially follows Yes, and, and the trouble is, if you say, oh, what do you love doing uh, to your 13-year-old child? It's, oh, I love Minecraft, and mm. I love partying, and I love sweets, football. Yeah. Or, or football. Yeah. Great, you're going to be a Minecraft-playing footballer while that sucking on a chopper chop. Yeah. Um, and that's not what it's about. It's finding out about what your, what your true core is. So, for example, we've got a mutual friend, the CEO of, of, of ReadyTech, a software company, Mark. And his greatest strength from a strength assessment is love. Um, it's not like he goes putting it about a lot. Um, it means that he actually likes doing nice things for people, but having that reciprocated. And one of his favorite pastimes is cooking. 
And some people love cooking because their strength is appreciation of beauty and excellence, the, the picture, the thing that they produce. Mm. Or they've got an attention to detail and self-regulation. They like following the... But his is love. So the reason why he loves cooking isn't the actual act of cooking. It's giving it to people, sharing uh, okay. it to people and getting around a table and mixing. And so you can see that if you've got a particular strength, you can apply it to almost any job and use your strength to excel at that job rather than doing a job that is your strength or what, what you love doing already. So he's not a chef, but he's a brilliant leader of, um, of, of a tech company mm. because he likes listening and getting feedback and, 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 um, and, and working with his colleagues and people feed off of that. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Okay. He's never cooked for me, by the way, so, you know, we need to address You're his friend. Yeah, oh, yeah, right, sorry. Moving on to relationships. It's <laughs> a good segue. So the six components of well-being, positive emotions, engagement, relationships. And, and that's where, uh, whenever I think of, um, you know, as, you know, I go through life, relationships seem to be the major thing for me in terms of happiness. Uh, not, you know, again, come back to that research from Harvard, not necessarily even just the romantic ones, but actually those, like our relationship, you know, and, 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 and friendships and so on. Um, so relationships, is, is this must be one of the major ones when it comes to Yeah, you, you've got to say it's right there in the middle, it, it's core. And what's interesting is if you have connection, um, the broader your connections, the more resilient a person you are as well. So it's not just, oh, I feel happy, I've got higher levels of well-being. You're able to cope with setbacks better. Um, and it's not just about having, and looking at the research, it's not just about having people around to support you if something bad befalls you or even something good happens. It's actually, it turns out that you're greater or one of the fastest ways of increasing well-being is by volunteering, doing something for somebody else yeah, without expectation of return. So if, if, you've, you're fa- if you're connected to yourself, great, then your family, then your work, then your community, then something bigger than all of that. If you're connected and, and have relationships of that depth, then the broader that goes, the deeper your your inherent resilience and, and able to not just cope, but also think cleverly and, and, and think your way out of situations. Fourth on the list is meaning. What does that mean? <laughs> Actually, it's a really good question because people think meaning and purpose are the same thing. Yeah, that's um, but they're not, not exactly. Um, mm. You know, but there's an overlap. That's a whole different podcast on meaning and purpose mm. um, and it also feeds into perhaps why we've, we've got all of these wonderful things that you, you touched on more, more food more health more freedom personal and, and, and national and what have you um, but uh, we, we're becoming more anxious stressed and depressed it doesn't yeah. make sense but there is an issue that we might we, we love meaning in things um, so people often turn what they're doing, no matter what it is, whether they're making um, a bomb for a, for a fighter aircraft or they're a cleaner at a hospital, they, if they perceive that as being for the greater good and having some meaning to it, then they're happier. It's, it's uh, funny you should say, because one, one of my best mates, uh, he, Chris, he, he, he's a cleaner at a hospital and he finds such meaning in his work, um, you know, because he's helping out in a, you know emergency room and all that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, he, he, he finds that real purpose in that role. Yeah, yeah. unless the, the base is clean and hygienic, mm. then, um, the, then people still die and what have you. But um, yeah, it's, it's the bottom line of, of contributing. But there's also a lack of purpose and meaning. We used to get it from religion, but the, more, um, the, the less religious we become, we, we lose that guidance. Because we used to be able to default. This is our behave. I've got these mm. rules and regulations from the Torah, Quran, or, or Bible. And, um, and Hindu writings and what have you and, and this is the point of it and this is the payoff 
But if, if, if we're secular, if we, if we don't necessarily, if we're agnostic or whatever, atheist, we've lost that. So what's filling in that yeah. gap? This is a major thing in modern-day society around happiness. Is, cause I, I, I'm an atheist, but I do recognise the benefit, the religion, and, and you know, coming from Wales, the local church was every everything. You know, but as well as as well as things on a Sunday, you had youth club and, and scouts and drama things. There was always something going on that created a community. And, and of course, the further we move from religion, you don't have that central sense of community that you can base these things around. Uh, and potentially, that for me is, is, is another significant reason as to why we are becoming less happy. Uh, despite my ardent atheism, it, it's, it's um, I do recognise the value that we've lost in not having that sort of central part of the community. And one of the greatest strengths and, and benefits of, of religion is that, that it draws people together. Mm. It gives you a common culture, a common language, and, and, and just people around to support each other. Mm. Accomplishment, mate. Uh, so you yeah. feeling accomplished in life or work or...? or oh, just everything. Yeah. You know, it's, it's splendid. But um, <laughs> the um, accomplishment was quite a late addition um, to this, this list and in, in writing. By, by University of Pennsylvania. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and in, in general with studies, because you think you pretty much tick them off with positive emotions and, and engagement and meaning and relationships, but it seems that you can still feel hollow as a human unless you feel like you're making some sort of progress, some sort of accomplishment in life. And that can even be if you're working on a factory line, you, you're achieving your X number or beating your X number of components that you've put together mm. that day. Um, and it can be a shared, shared accomplishment. Um, but we need to feel like we're making some sort of progress in life. Mm. Um, that's why we just love thinking about holidays in the future. Oh, we've got a goal, we're heading yeah. towards it, and we're going to be doing something, and I can tick my box that I've had sangria there or whatever it might be. Is goal setting then and things out in the future part of that happiness then? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because of that, that, that sense of uh, of accomplishment, moving to towards something, yeah. and having, and particularly if we've lost, uh, we've got the existential vacuum. You know, we've lost that meaning. Mm. Um, but the sense of accomplishment can be, and and this is worked into in terms of behaviour and nudges and, and mm. engagement into everything from computer games in particular. You know, you've just got to feel like you're moving forward. It's challenging you, and it's not not too too difficult, or it's not too boring, and what yeah. have you. So. The existential crisis bit then, um, and this is this is going to sound, uh, I don't know, not overly intelligent, but the, the, the accomplishment is a way of dealing with uh, the demise of religion? Um, in terms of happiness? Not entirely, mm. but it's, it's an inherent human need. So it's, um, uh, it's compounded, I'd say. Um, and, and, you know, the, that sense of accomplishment might have been pacified somewhat if you feel like, you're doing good day to day. You're getting by, um, and you're um, you'll be rewarded in the afterlife or whatever. But also bear in mind now that we're not focusing so much huge effort on hunting, gathering um, the basic bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Having said that, a lot of people think, well, we're more miserable now because we're navel gazing. We've got a lot more time to stare at, at you know, and think and ponder and worry. Um, but it's not strictly true. In fact, if you take almost all surviving hunter-gatherers, they spend a lot less time a week um, actually working and commuting to work to, to, to hunt and gather. So, for example, the Hadza um, in East Africa, uh, they spend an average of 18 hours, I think it was, uh, hunting, gathering, um, whereas obviously we, we, we spend in the Western world 
uh, a lot more than that. How long, however long it takes to get to Tesco's or Coles or wherever it might be. Yeah, I think there was a, a German anthropologist said about them that they, they spend more time worrying about games of chance than their chances of game. I made last number six Why on the that list. Funny? I don't know. It's <laughs> profound. It's profound. It's very profound. I'll sit and ponder that later, <laughs> mate. Number six on the list is health. Uh, I, I suppose that goes without saying is is your health really does massively impact your your happiness. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we know about the endorphin rushes and, and dopamine and what have you from exercise. Um, we, you know, the diet is so much easier to eat bad stuff and cheaper generally and in terms of time sleep you know we're getting massively eroded in terms of sleep curiously some of the longest lived people are in hong kong and uh, japan and yet they've got some of the most uh, deprived sleep oh really deprived, oh, yeah. oh, absolutely so that's, that's completely counterintuitive they're, they're battling against that mm. but what i find interesting is we know what makes you happy in terms of the, the hormones that can be released. You know, you've got serotonin, endorphins, oxytocin, dopamine. Mm. So we should just pop a pill and we're a lot happier. Um, but, you know, they wrote about that in Brave New World. Everyone took this pill. You're not only happier, the more docile and what have you, but everyone's horrified by the notion of that. Um, and it's weird how we, we kind of know how to make ourselves happier in a way. But without that meaning, relationships, accomplishment and what have you, um, just having the positive emotions because we popped a pill, it still leaves us hollow uh, in our lives. We have to mention the, so talking, you know, talking about those drugs, um, the hole in the head research of the 60s or 70s that you mentioned was quite yeah. a fascinating story. I mean, antidepressants are obviously driven by commercial concerns as well as health concerns. Um, and you can look at studies on the effectiveness of them and electroconvulsive therapy in, in a number of studies could be seen to be more effective than, than antidepressants, possibly because it's stimulating mm. production areas in the brain, but also trepanation. Yeah, I'd never heard of this word a, until you mentioned it the other day. in the head, um, because you clearly need one. <laughs> but yeah, there, there was a Lady Amanda Fielding in 1970, um, it, encouraged by results with her colleagues and what she'd read about I think it was Shiva um, ancient Hindu god also had a hole in the head to not just alleviate um, bad spirits and what have you but actually a proactive thing to um, to make you happier um, and and it seemed to work for her <laughs> so wow. she she actually drilled I think it was a, a dentist drill or something a hole in the head and swore by it it was a great a great result and so it was with with her colleagues i feel like i know we're gonna have lots of video cutting through this video i feel like we should have a disclaimer at this point not to drill yeah, a hole in your, don't drill your a hole heads. in your head yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mate um, I'm, you also mentioned why we should look over the fence what was all that about yeah well it's actually um and this brings us to the bottom line of why are we unhappier when we should be so much happier um and we've lost purpose we've lost community we've lost exercise largely we're an animal devised for long-term uh, walking we're an yeah, endurance hunter. Time, yeah um and but comparison is one of the key issues we used to just have to compare ourselves with um groups of 30 people a maximum of 200 um, and now we're comparing ourselves to, to everyone in the world. 
Um, so we're getting the negative news from every corner of Arkansas and what have you, but also we've got to be as beautiful as, uh, as, as the Kardashians. So the, the comparison, so Eddie Jack, who wrote that, that happiest man in the world, sadly just died there in the last 12 months. But he said, don't look on the other side of the fence. You'll never be happy if you look at your neighbor and make yourself sick with jealousy. But we can't help it with social media and what have you. All we're doing is putting forward the best possible life that we're not really having, um, but we're just comparing ourselves and feeling inadequate a lot more. Mm. Um, so it's that confidence in yourself and not looking externally for um, uh, for endorsement, I suppose. Mate, before we wrap up, um, six components of well-being or happiness. How can we quickly use those to become happier at work? Um, what should we do for a living, I suppose? Yeah, I think we can just again look to Aristotle, obviously, um, and. Uh, just That's where I usually look for advice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, reading in the original ancient Greek. Um, but work out, do a strengths assessment of all your staff and um, so people can appreciate others and value them. But you, it gives you clues how to approach your job and how to excel, but also what your true company values are, authentic ones. Um, the other one is use emojis in your emails, <laughs> communications. Uh, it's true. Uh, this is true, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It makes people like you more as well. Yeah, and uh, because people always read the written word in the most negative way it could have been read. So people are getting annoyed and wound up by you. But if you put a little winky face at the end, it makes them think, oh, hang on, they, they weren't having a go at me. They were just, yeah. you know, a little, little winky face there. But also build those relationships. Just, just keep people meeting and, and, and chatting and interacting. Uh, in person uh, will make a massive difference to happiness at work. Thank you, Dr. Darren Coppin. Um, uh, thanks for watching uh, Budge, uh, Behavioural Science and uh, Nudge Theory in Business, Education and Life. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, what you're watching, please throw us a like or a subscribe on YouTube or whatever else you're listening to on. And we are interested in comments. We'd love to hear your feedback and to talk about much more. So please put a comment on, particularly if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, thanks for watching. <laughs> <laughs>